Hello, everybody. Press Gallery host Emma Graney here with a quick reminder to subscribe. Find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever you want a podcast. You do you. Good listener, you do you. As always, any questions, comments, or concerns, reach out to me. egraney at postmedia.com is my email, or you can find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Enjoy this week's episode. Hello and welcome to the Press Gallery, the Edmonton Journal's politics podcast. I am your host, Provincial Affairs reporter Emma Graney. It is Friday, April 26, 2019, and this is the Consequences of Killing the Carbon Tax edition. With me today, yay, our special guest, Paige Parsons, our uh, City Hall reporter. How are you, Paige? I'm great. How are you? Good, because... Claire Clancy, the next lady along the table. Hello. My fellow legislative Welcome, reporter. Paige. So happy you're here. Yes. <laughs> and Clancy is a legend. It brought me a small coffee. I know how important coffee her. is. That was my <laughs> response to your text. <laughs> <laughs> and our boss, Dave Breckenridge. How are you, mate? I'm great. I love the fact that the had title of the episode has the comedy K's happening following the Krusty the Clown. <laughs> <laughs> Consequences of killing the carbon tax. <laughs> we do it's like alliteration. Love Everything a bit of alliteration. In yeah, well, you know, I do my best, Dave. You know, I really work hard on these titles. I didn't all just come up with it literally two and a half minutes ago. No, no, no. Put a lot of thought into it. So we are indeed going to be talking about the consequences of killing the carbon tax. More and more is coming out this week. So a couple of things here. We have municipalities wrestling with what they do now because the carbon tax-funded programs that they have been relying on are all going to be killed off. Uh, We're also going to talk about the consequences of killing the emissions cap. So that's something that the UCP has also promised to do. That could uh, lead to some pretty interesting situations for Alberta's in-situ oil sands. And then we're going to talk a little bit more about MLA orientation. All the newbies showed up this week. So let's get started here. Paige, let's start with you because I know this came up at – the Edmonton City Council debate yesterday, correct? Sure. So they were actually, they were just supposed to be getting this update on their community energy transition strategy. And Edmonton actually, as it turns out, is super into, like there's been a lot of uptake among residents with doing these programs, whether it's the solar residential home mm-hmm. program or um, home energy things. And what what they did was the city really got into what Energy Efficiency Alberta was offering. And they combined their own initi- initiatives with that. And there was a lot of good uptake from homeowners. And some backstory on this, Edmonton has really high carbon emissions per capita. So we're not doing so great on that front. But the plan that they have to deal with it has won them a lot of um, accolades kind of broadly yeah. across North America and, and around the world. And so they're in kind of this weird place where they're a bit of a bad offender, but They've been having a lot of success with trying to deal with it. And then um, part of this update, though, is that one of their big new initiatives that they wanted to start piloting in October, and they were going to be the first um, municipality in the province to, to try it, it's run through the uh, the office that might not exist by then. Energy Efficiency Alberta. Which program was that? It's Or a, what does it do? Yeah, it's an Alberta version of something that started down in the States, I believe, called PACE. And so... Oh, yeah, of course. That's yeah. really popular. So what it what it does, though, is it lets... Um, because when people want to make these big investments in uh, renewable energy infrastructure or solar panels in their homes, it can be really expensive. And so if you buy a solar panel system that is going to live for 20 years, but you have to pay it off in five years, if you sell your house in four years, that means you've put all the investment in, someone else is going to get the benefit. So what this program does is it allows you to finance like renewable 
or um, energy efficient infrastructure for your for your house or for your property um, through the municipality. And then the cost of that is tied to the property tax. So if you sell it, the the financing stays with the property. So the new owner gets the benefit, but they also take over paying it off. What was the reaction from city council when this came up? Because wasn't David Dodge there? David Dodge was there in his capacity as the co-chair of the city's Energy Transition Committee, okay. and that is all he spoke about. And he was executive director of EEA. Yes. So Former Bank of Canada governor, <laughs> David Dodge? Different there's, David yeah, Dodge. Two, okay. That's why I, I messaged I, you I yesterday about the two <laughs> David Dodges, because it's it's confusing. But yeah, he was there. He, was, um, he did tell committee that the office is in a red zone right now, and he cannot publicly talk about things with the province. So he was there to talk about the city and what the city is doing. That's um, awkward. Yeah, it was a little awkward. And yeah, hey, I'm super involved in that, but I cannot speak of it. Yeah. We are in a red zone. Well, no doubt the office is absolutely just... It's uh, got to be shambles right now. At, like, I'm sure that people there just have no idea what's going yeah. on. Mm-hmm. Well, EEA, that's um, Energy Efficiency Alberta. Jason Kenney has said that he will get rid of EEA because... What EEA does is it runs all the programs that are funded only by the carbon tax. That's all it does. So when you're getting rid of the carbon tax, you're getting rid of all of the programs. So was City, yeah, what was the vibe around the table for the city? Well, they wanted to make a strong statement and they they passed a motion um, basically saying, look, the future of this office that's supposed to administer the program, it's uncertain. So hey, uh, our city staff, like, start working on a plan for how we can still make this happen if that office goes away. But they were also very um, clear and adamant that they wanted to get the point across to the province that this is better as a provincial program. Um, It will have more impact. It'll be more effective. It'll have more market reach if it's a province-wide thing than just a city thing. Um, But, and they kind of, they kept reiterating that, but Jason Kenney, has been clear that that office is going to go. He told you that on April 1st. We checked. Yes. I went back through my recordings. Yep. To yeah. find out. I, I think it's so, it's just interesting to hear about this debate at the city level because um, killing the carbon tax has so many implications that we don't know what the consequences are going to be. So it could happen as early as the third week of May. That's when we're expecting session to happen. Jason Kenney said Bill 1 will repeal the carbon tax. And at that point, all of this funding will be uh, called into question. And it it also will affect a lot of First Nations communities who've taken advantage of these renewable energy programs. Um, and I would recommend to everyone to go back and kind of read uh, Emma and Janet's series about what the carbon tax money actually does, because that really clarifies how um, these there are programs across the province that rely on this funding. Yeah, hundreds and hundreds of programs across the province. And we're talking, so City of Edmonton, obviously, you know, big city, getting a lot of money for a whole bunch of different stuff. But we're talking about little tiny communities of, you know, 500, 1,500 3,000 people are getting money to upgrade their ice rinks or like put solar panels on the community center or get energy efficient light bulbs, which saves the municipality money. And now they won't have that anymore at all. So, Dave. Well, they won't have that money, but it's the suggestion that municipalities will just stop doing any of those things just because this program goes away is, is not exactly, I don't think it's a, it's a reasoned argument. I think that They'll have to find the money in other ways, but if a city believes in doing those things, they should be doing it anyway. But where are they going to find that money? Like, like, because the fact does remain, though, that Alberta's like 
it's kind of in the economic shitter right now. Like mm-hmm. there's not a lot of extra cash the municipalities have. What what was Edmonton saying about this? Yeah, so Edmonton, since that office opened in 2017, they've gotten $40 million so far to date um, from Energy Efficiency Alberta programs invested in Edmonton. And so they, they had a, sorry, they had a lot of money for a waste for the waste center or like a um, a waste program as well. The waste thing in Edmonton is a whole special <laughs> a whole separate, other mess uh, thing, <laughs> but it's a mess. Yeah, good pun, Dave. What well, is it, you know, waste, waste in Edmonton? Mess, is yeah. Not, yeah. yeah, that's a different podcast. But the yeah, most of the it's four hours long. <laughs> The yeah the the administration guy who's in charge of this for the city yesterday he he said that most of that forty million was going through the residential solar program and then this home energy program that's a combination of EEAs with the city of Edmonton um, top up that they were doing and that combination is what really attracted residents to participating. Further to your point, Dave, do you think municipalities so like, I mean, municipalities, First Nations, particularly small places. Mm-hmm. They pursue these programs because they get money. So, like, what what would be the reason for them to actually do it if they're not getting any help anymore? Well, do they believe in the the idea of reducing their emissions or mm. reducing their carbon footprint or not? If they do, they can make that a priority in mm. at their level of government. And and look, I understand that municipalities in Alberta like to get money from the province. They generally, you know... You, Who doesn't like I, to get I, I money spent, from the province? <laughs> I spent 10 years in Calgary when uh, then, for the most uh, most of the time I was there, uh, Dave Bronconier was mayor, and he made uh, a great career out of lobbying uh, the Tories for cash and and got a lot of money for his, his city. And municipalities will still do that under the Jason Kenney government. And Jason Kenney will have to find a way to work with municip- municipalities. Could there be other grant programs? Possibly. They may not be tied directly to the carbon tax money. They may be tied to other well, they money. they won't because there is no carbon yeah, exactly. tax money. <laughs> well, that's what I mean. Is it? But the, the idea that the province isn't going to fund cities mm. is... Yeah, and that's silly. And I think that's true. Like it's they've they've committed to huge infrastructure projects. Those things aren't going to be called into question, it sounds like. But I think the question that's more pressing is, um, first of all, what is the provincial directive going to be to reduce carbon footprint in at the municipal level? And um, yeah, and then what kind of resources will be available to municipalities for that? And we just don't know yet. And so I can assume like a big assumption, but I'm assuming at the city level, people are kind of freaking out being like, what's going to happen? Look, I don't deny that cities are like who have who have bought into this program or anything like that are going to be left in the lurch. And it's going to leave them wondering how we can't continue this or or it may be to a lesser degree. Like I, I understand that. And I understand one of the things you hear from mayors is that they want from the province uh, on any level predictable sustainable funding yeah. school boards predictable sustainable funding I and, love and, that and pulling a program out <laughs> and they does, never get it. <laughs> does cause them problems and so it it will be incumbent on Jason Kenney to work with municipalities as his government is sworn in and and goes forward with their plans. They they have to find a way to work together. Mayor Don Iveson, he did talk about that. Like he he's still saying, oh, we hope the provincial office, I don't want to start a new agency, but like I will if I have to. However, he is waiting to see if there is a replacement coming um, from the new government, if there's some other option that's going to be available. And he, he sort of, he made sure he kept that option open. I did ask him if when he's spoken to Jason Kenney, if he let him know that he, he wants this agency to exist as a provincial entity and he said he did not specifically tell him that. Don, what were you thinking mate? Honestly. 
Yeah. Well, I guess there you go. If you're listening, Jason Kenny, Don Iverson would very much like it if EEA continues to exist. We're just the messengers. <laughs> One of the other things we found out about this week, one of the other consequences of killing the carbon tax, well, it's not really the carbon tax so much as Jason Kenney's um, promise to kill the emissions cap on Alberta's oil sands. Now, we're in an editorial board with the Federal Natural Resources Minister, Amajit Sohi. Dave, you're in on that with me. That was a surprise, wasn't it? Yes. What, what did we find out? Well, it was kind of hard to get him pinned down on that, but the, the question is if the federal government approved Trans Mountain expansion due in part to the NDP's climate plan. What happens with Jason Kenney as premier? They get rid of the carbon tax while the feds have a carbon tax. So that kind of is a wash. Let's yep. just say that's a wash because we're going to pay a carbon tax. Alberta's going to get the federal carbon tax, whether you yeah. like it or not, despite the fact that everyone has pledged to fight it. Well, you will a, get a, a you will get Yeah, until it, kill it until it's dealt with yep. at court. The other part of it was the cap on heavy emitters. Yeah. Amarjeet, so he kind of tried to dance around the issue a little bit, but he kind of he left us with the impression that, yeah, you know, this could be problematic for TMX if the province gets rid of the cap on heavy emitters. Well, and my understanding from from that was that Bill C-69, which has been super yeah. controversial, is um, some of the regulations for Alberta were put in place under the understanding that there would be that oil sands emissions cap. Yeah, exactly. So basically, um, so he said that because Jason Kenney has pledged to kill the emissions cap, that could have serious implications for in-situ oil sands. Down uh, the road, yeah. Down the road. So in-situ oil sands make up about 80% of Alberta – sorry, in-situ oil projects made up, make up about 80% of what Alberta does with, um, with bitumen. So if the emissions cap is gone, then the federal government will make it so that those in-situ projects are pulled – underneath federal regulation. So they will be part of Bill C-69. And so he said that they gave Rachel Notley an insurance, and I'm in assurance, I'm putting that in air quotes, saying, as long as there's an emissions cap, Bill C-69 will not apply to in-situ projects in Alberta. However, now if Jason Kenney gets rid of the emissions cap, it means that in situ, and this is what so he said that those in situ projects, again, that's eighty percent of Alberta's oil projects, are going to be federally regulated that was under, under Bill C sixty nine. New in situ projects, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, yeah, okay. new projects. So your yeah, new projects would fall under the regulations of Bill C sixty nine, and that is quite a worry for the industry mm -hmm. um, because of the implications that Bill C-69 has. And we've vaguely talked about 69 before. You've done a bunch of stories on this. Well, yeah, Nancy. like what I was going to say is I think this, it's significant because what it goes back uh, back to is that, first of all, Jason Kenney is poised to have a huge fight with Justin Trudeau about numerous issues, as we Breaking know, news. not a big surprise. <laughs> Um, but uh, but this go during the campaign, um, you know, Premier Rachel Notley was saying there's a clear path forward with Bill C-69. Alberta has been negotiating with the federal government. And Jason Kenney's tone with that legislation, which will overhaul the energy regulate the federal energy regulator and change how um, projects are approved. It's a slew of changes. His tone was very much 
Bill C-69 as it stands, it has to go. So I think it's just really interesting because um, the emissions cap issue plays into yet another battle that Jason Kenney is going to have with Trudeau, and we'll just have to see how it unfolds. Yeah, now C-69 obviously hasn't passed yet. Uh, Senators are going around Canada um, having meetings with interested groups about the implications of that and also C-48, which is to do with a tanker ban. And there has been a lot of pushback against 69 here in Alberta in particular because of the implications it might have further down the road for uh, for new oil projects and also for like pipelines and stuff like that as well. I mean, Jason Kenney likes to call it the no more pipelines bill. I've heard that language from, not just from Jason Kenney either. And it, although it hasn't passed, Kenney says if it does, he will launch a constitutional challenge against it under the argument that C-69 would take the provincial responsibility of natural resources away from the provinces, and that's something that they were guaranteed many, many years ago. So he does not like C-69 at all. So, of course, that's just one of the many things the UCP will do uh, once they are sworn in on April 30. Clancy, we had the uh, new MLA orientation this week. First day of school. Yay! As, as uh, incoming Calgary Elbow MLA Doug Schweitzer called it. <laughs> did um, he have a little packed lunch with an apple? <laughs> I don't know. They all did, I'm sure. No. So yeah, they had the uh, the MLA orientation was this week. Um, basically, what it means is that new MLAs come with their spouses and partners and learn all the procedural rules, get their security passes, um, all kind of the uh, nitty gritty things you have to do when you start a new job. We did, uh, you know, the media obviously chatted to MLAs, uh, both uh, from the NDP and the UCP, because it is a two-party legislature now, mm. um, about kind of how they're feeling. There was, everyone's pretty excited. Uh, we asked some people about potential cabinet picks, because that's top of mind with um, journalism guessing. So we yeah, did. Yeah, I think we did that last week on we the podcast did, too, yeah. but hey, let's do it again. Why not? <laughs> yeah, no, so we asked Sonia Savage, which we talked about, uh, about the energy issue and potentially being energy minister and she said she'd be happy to serve wherever wherever um one thing that was interesting is we did ask we had a chance to talk to some of the incoming ndp mlas mm -hmm. uh, so janice Irwin, for example who has a background as an educator uh she's um edmonton highlands norwood uh for the ndp we asked if she thinks she's going to be education critic and she kind of didn't bite on that but i think that might be like for shadow cabinet position fun side um, note about uh, Janice Irwin. She also won $100,000 yes. in the lottery. Yeah. She's she had a great her, week. Yeah, she has had a good week. Yeah. Yeah. Won her seat, $100,000. I know. Like, what could go better for you? I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I great. mean, good news comes in sets of three or something so I don't know what the next one will be yeah another lucky another lucky thing yeah but it was it was just kind of interesting to see everyone back at the ledge um, obviously you mentioned uh, cabinet will be sworn in April 30th it sounds like the like the rumor is it's going to happen at government house um, and uh, and so that might be a different tone from kind of the big celebration the NDP had on the grounds of the legislature when they were sworn in what was I'm just curious what the mood was like. I I, th I seem to recall back in 2015 when the NDP won, the mood at the orientation was pretty. I don't know, like surprised, surprised, <laughs> like jubilant. Yeah, I think bubbly. people were. I think uh, uh, so there were some people maybe not wanting to talk to media. I don't know. Like, um, there were a few MLAs, I think, who, uh, you know, didn't want to maybe have their first scrums, but we did. Could, could one of them have been Peter Singh? I didn't, I didn't get a chance to ask him any questions. And actually, that is who I was thinking of. But um, 
yeah, no, I think the mood was pretty, uh, yeah, it was it was excited and a bit nervous. Um, I think what's important to remember about this legislature is that we have so many new MLAs as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it is going to be a really steep learning curve, I think. And the government is going to have to deal with that inexperience on their benches. It's more new MLAs than in 2015, I believe, even. Uh, so I think that will be, yeah, that'll be interesting to watch. But yeah, people, I think people generally are excited. The NDP uh, with a 23-member opposition um, have only three new MLAs. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, that shows that, you know, even though they're a small opposition, they are experienced and uh, and they'll be showing people like Janice Irwin um, the ropes. Yeah. Something I was wondering about, uh, like with the new MLAs is compared to City Hall where, you know, a new councillor comes in and... And you're by yourself. You don't have a party to help you out. And there's only the like a few of them. You can't really hide at the back of the classroom. So like how <laughs> how much like technical training do MLAs get? Because I know city counselors get a lot because it's like you, you get it and then you're out there and then you're sitting in front of the public and you're supposed to ask. And you're supposed to know what's going on and ask a, and ask and understand a lot of really technical business and governance stuff. Yeah, and I think I think that's a good question. Like if you're going to be a back backbencher UCP MLA, will you be able to hide? I don't know. We'll have to see. It depends. Uh, you know, there's a long-standing tradition at the legislature of doing ins where reporters are able to ask any MLA they want uh, questions about what's going on. Obviously, um, you know, just because the election over doesn't me- is over doesn't mean there aren't outstanding questions with specific MLAs, uh, including Peter Singh for example, after the RCMP raid on his business. Um, so those are things that, yeah, we'll have to see kind of what training they get and maybe what the tone is that the UCP sets overall. And certainly, I mean, if you're a backbencher, whether you're on government benches or opposition benches, you can sit there quietly and not have a clue what's going there are on. some MLAs from the last legislature that I honestly didn't know they were MLAs. No. <laughs> Sometimes I would see their faces and I'd be like, wait. Who are you? You look familiar, but I have not heard you speak. <laughs> and they might get up and do, you know, a statement or something like that. But you can tell they just are like, uh, I'll just vote when I'm told to kind of thing. Yeah. So it'll it's going to be fun to see how everything plays out. I also did want to quickly mention that we have, for the first time, two brothers serving together. Right. That's the Jeremy and Jason Nixon. The brothers Nixon. Yes. So they maybe will be voting together. Who knows? Actually, one of the funny questions asked by a reporter was, are they sharing an apartment in the city? <laughs> are they? Uh, they said they didn't. They said they hadn't discussed it yet. But Aww, it'll what? be like going back to college days. I don't know. <laughs> Well, also, um, Jason Nixon is no longer the tallest what? Uh, person in the house. Yeah, oh, that's shocking. He's a giant. Isn't it? Is, He's it, like is, is it his brother? No. Who's no, his brother tallest? is like a normal sized human being. Um, <laughs> yeah, because Jason Nixon is like six, six seven. seven, I think. And then this other guy is six, eight. And I can't remember that guy's name, but apparently he got a pair of shoes. That were too small for him, so he gave them to Jason Nixon. So it's oh, the first yeah. time that Jason Nixon's had hand-me-downs. Yeah, that's such a cute story. <laughs> <It's> so <laughs> funny. And, yeah, because I just can't believe there are two dudes that are just incredibly that tall in the Alberta legislature. Well, they're going to have to be well-positioned for photo ops. Yeah, they'll have to be on either side probably mm-hmm. or, like, kneeling down in the front. <laughs> that will yeah. be the same height as some of the other yeah. shorter people standing that's great. up. Um, Kenny, of course, did have a little rah-rah, rousing, fire em up kind of speech this morning. We were recording this on Friday, as you know. And the caucus had a meeting and he went in and did a little speech saying we have to – it was kind of what 
political leaders often give their you know, give their team. Um, Rachel Notley used to do the same going into session, kind of like we're going to concentrate and we're going to really focus on it. And that was Jason Kenney's message was we've got this mandate from our Burtons. We need to always keep our Burtons front and centre. He, he made a point of bringing out Edmonton and saying even though Edmonton didn't vote us in, we have we have to listen to Edmonton and we have to understand where they're coming from and we have to be a government for everybody. So he made a point of saying that. Um, he also said, you know what, this is going to be a tough job. Like you're going to miss people's birthdays, you're going to miss anniversaries. It's going to be tough. And he kind of gave that little warning. I mean, too late now. <laughs> you already signed up for it. I was going to say, actually, yeah, on the orientation day, um, speaker, outgoing speaker Bob Warner gave a speech and he kind of said similar things to the MLAs. Yeah. And the funniest piece of advice I thought he gave them was also um, basically watch your waistline because it's really hard to eat regularly and healthily throughout the job. And he said like something along the lines of your weight will fluctuate unless you have diligence about it type thing. Well, it's it's true. I, I remember having a conversation with, I think it was health minister at the time, Gary Marr. This is way back in 2004. And Gary Marr got elected in the, in the mid 90s. And he had put on quite a bit of weight. And he was working very hard at that point to kind of lose some of his political weight. And I know some people have made mention of the the effort that Jason Kenney has made to to drop some some pounds because politics can be that. I mean, it's even, you know, you go out and you cover the campaign. I was the like, most unhealthy I've ever been. Like for the just last in terms month. of just yeah, in terms of eating and diet, yeah. like you you know when you're like when you're in the middle of that, it can catch up with you over time, right? That, yeah, and it was just some really nice like sage advice from Bob Warner, who just yeah, just it was it was kind of funny. It was things like yeah, you'll miss a lot of family time, but um, but it's an important job. And I would I did want to note that whenever we did scrum with MLAs on all on both sides, like one of the messages that I heard over and over again was like, obviously, we're honored to serve, that kind of thing, that line. But the UCP in particular, I noticed all of them kept using the name like humble, like we were going to be oh, humble. Yeah. And I think Kenny probably, said that again today, yeah, too. stay and humble. I'm like, well, yeah, exactly. I'm sure he got that line great, from Kendrick great reference, yeah. When I think Jason Kenny, I think <laughs> the two he left out the of the right? <laughs> Yeah, But I do think that's going to be a message that they're, they're going to keep bringing up over and over again as well. Yeah. Yep. So, and again, so they'll be sworn in April 30. We'll know the cabinet then. Maybe Nathan Cooper might be speaker. He answered that question, didn't he? He was asked. Yeah, about that. he's been. It's been the rumor that he's going to run, and and he said that it would be an honor if his colleagues picked him. It's it's an elected position in the legislature. Um, but yeah, it sounds like he's definitely going to put his hat in the name in the hat for that. Yeah, he's throw his hat in the ring. Right. I I was yeah. mixing my metaphors and then I got confused. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, he is a procedural nerd. That would totally make sense. I think he knows that book back to front. Um, all right, let's move on to our regular segment, Good Stuff from the Gallery, in which we recommend things we have read, seen, listened to lately that we think you might also enjoy, dear listeners. Paige, do you want to kick it off, mate? Yes. I have a piece that came out recently in the New York Times magazine. It's called The Company That Sells Love to America Had a Dark Secret, and it's by Taffy Brodesser. Ackner. I don't know if that's how you say her name, but I love her. I she, love her too. She's one of my favorite mm, writers. Yeah. She's she's incredible. She writes these just like stunning profiles often. But what this is, is it's sort of a, a very expansive look at a company that had, it's sort of a a later Me Too era piece. And it, it looks at from top to bottom, this jewelry company, Sterling in the US that had um, really widespread and like built into the culture problems with misogyny that ranged from, you know, wage gap issues and just sort of day to day like 
lighter harassment or kind of more low-key um, misogyny rate up to some really troubling and violent sexual assaults um, happening at company events and stuff. And it's just, it's it's very carefully structured, but it has a little bit of a stream of consciousness vibe in that she just she just goes through it. And it's like this, it's really old. I forget when this all started, but at one point there was like 70,000, almost 70,000 women in the company had um joined up with this class action lawsuit against the oh my God. against the company and it just it, it's never gotten resolved because it gets dragged to the courts and as a former court reporter I think it's just a brilliant way to write about um, a civil case which can be really hard to do and it's also just um, really well written really thoughtful and it goes so deep that you can, you get all of the nuances and you get the reaction from the company and from the different people who've ex- had different experiences it's great nice Clancy, what you got, mate? I'm going to recommend a podcast. No, you're now not. I can what? because now I can listen to them again regularly. Um, now that I'm not working insane hours, so I, I have started listening to one called Cold, and it's an investigative journalistic uh, podcast about a, a cold case. I'll just read the summary of um, the description. Susan Powell vanished from her home in West Valley City, Utah, on a cold December day in 2009. Her husband Josh Powell had taken the couple's two sons out camping in a blizzard. He claimed to have no idea. Where where his wife had gone. Susan has never been found. Josh was never arrested or charged with a crime, though police suspected he murdered Susan in cold blood. And it's um it's really interesting and well done. And the reason why it's a particularly good podcast, I think, is they actually have all of these uh, recordings of Josh and Susan talking to each other because I guess they in the early on in their relationship, they started recording a lot of conversations and he also did audio. That's weird. Yeah. And he also did audio diaries for himself and it's extremely creepy and interesting. So I would Whoa. definitely recommend that podcast. Should I be recording conversations with my husband? I Isn't think that what I'm getting. It, what could go wrong? What, <laughs> <laughs> what what could go wrong in a marriage when you start recording everything the other person says and does? Don't worry, Yuri. I'm not going to do that. Um, I'm going to recommend. I've again been turning my brain off as much as possible. Um, I'm going to recommend a series that I've been so into over the past couple of years called The Parasol Protectorate by Gail Carragher. It's awesome. They're like these steampunk kind of novels about this um, lady who is uh, she basically doesn't have a soul and she has all these kind of crazy powers there are werewolves <laughs> there's all kinds of stuff cool. there are vampires and it's set in London and it's all very proper and she kind of it's all about manners and etiquette and tea and murders and steampunk and just weird kind of creatures that's amazing does it fit into your reading challenge it sure does fit into the pop sugar reading challenge which i'm going to put out there you should all really be doing that. which category um there is a category about um extinct or made up creatures oh cool yeah yeah Yeah. so uh, anyway uh dave (laughs) what do you got for us mate um i'm gonna recommend something even a little more frivolous i've been spending a bit how dare you call gail character frivolous about parasols anyway i'll try and walk that back as delicately as i can um but i've been spending a bit more time uh running and uh reading and even when i'm writing i like to listen to music and i like to listen to something that i can kind of zone out to but um one of my favorite uh, acts from the 90s has a new album out. Uh, the Chemical Brothers have a new album called No Geography. It's really good. It's kind of a return to form. It's probably their best album in the last 15 years. If you like music with a lot of bass and a little psychedelic, something to run to or read to or, you know, 
shake your ass in the kitchen when you're cooking dinner. <laughs> you know, I it's. Are you speaking from personal experience? <laughs> yes. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a really good album. It's a it's a good listen for people who like electronic music. It's uh, definitely worth uh, checking out on Spotify or or buying it on Apple Music if you like to pay for your music. My God, I haven't thought about the Chemical Brothers in years. It's really good. Yeah, now I want to listen to that. I saw them live at a festival when I was like 18 or I'm something. Jealous. Yeah, it was a really good show. Guys, thank you so much for joining me for another week here on the Press Gallery. We will, of course, be back with another episode next week. Of course, do subscribe, tell all your friends about us. Any questions, comments, or concerns, shoot me an email, egraney at postmedia.com or find me on Twitter at Emma L. Graney. Thanks for listening. 